You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church, to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church, to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello, welcome back to The Worship Review, the podcast which critically and charitably evaluates the songs that we sing in church. My name is Colin. I'm a history professor, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tyler. I'm Tyler. I'm a linguist and a former leader of music in the church, as was Colin. And today, we are going to be looking at the song, Jesus Paid It All, the version sung by Kim Walker-Smith, although this version has been sung by many artists, certainly. It's a very popular hymn. It's on the top 100 charts of the Christian licensing company. And it must have been up there. I mean, it surely has been up there for at least a decade, oh, yeah. I would think. I mean, you and I have both led this song in worship. The hymn itself is about 150 years old, written by a woman named Alvina M. Hall. Wrote it at age 45 when she got distracted listening to a, either a lengthy sermon or a lengthy prayer. And just started jotting down the words. As far as ways to soften the blow that you weren't paying attention during a sermon, I wrote a hymn praising the Lord is a good way to tell your pastor that his sermon was too long. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Okay. And this version is, was interesting too, because I don't know if folks have seen the video. I do recommend they go look up this version by Kim Walker Smith. But it is. It takes place in a situation called the worship circle. Did you look up this at all? It's I don't a, know the worship circle. It's like a kind of therapeutic retreat for worship musicians and worship leaders. So that, hopefully listeners of the show. Right. And it's basically where they go and they gather in a circle and they kind of sing some worship songs and they do little breakout sessions with somewhat famous worship musicians and worship leaders and songwriters and it's meant to be that like a, a kind of uh, yeah kind of a therapeutic experience almost the language on the website is like we see you we we feel your pain we we know it's hard which you know I've, you and i've both been in that position it's a lot of work it sure is sort of thing and dealing with people like colin and myself <laughs> oh my if, goodness if, if they happen to have us in their churches they <laughs> yeah. might need retreats yeah. every sunday that's true <laughs> What we're going to do with this song is we're going to just talk about it very briefly in broad terms, and then we're going to dig into some of the actual lyrics and then kind of give some concluding thoughts. We'll compare it with the older version of the hymn and then give a a kind of an endorsement, whether we endorse the song or not, and and give the song a rating. Out of five. But the units of measure, we never tell each other beforehand. It's it's sometimes funny. It's it's worth it's worth listening to the end. Okay, Tyler, uh, what is this song about? What's happening in the song? Can you give a summary, please? Yeah, this is a song of praise to Jesus and a description of works that He has done on our behalf and for His glory. So, um, perhaps the most obvious one is the refrain that Jesus paid it all. He paid the debt owed by our sin. Uh, to his Father for our benefit and for his glory. And throughout the verses, we're told to find in him our all in all. Throughout the refrain, we hear that we owe all to him. And near the end of the song, 
we get a glimpse of what our behavior in heaven is going to look like and how we will be present there, how we will be robed. So we'll stand before him complete, and yet we will still be repeating this refrain that Jesus paid it all and that I owe all to him. Yeah, we'll be singing about our our own redemption when we're in heaven. That'll be one of the things that we're excited to sing about. Indeed, indeed. Uh, Maybe we should get into some of the individual bits and pieces of this song. Yeah. So we have a first verse. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. There's that all in all that you were talking about mm-hmm. right there. Mm-hmm. So it opens with this interesting idea that I the singer and also the author of this verse am, am hearing the savior speak mm-hmm. and it's not immediately clear whether that is an audible voice or whether it is a, a perception that we have not an unbiblical or unreasonable perception that we might have um, because of the working of the holy spirit in us um and and this Savior says to us, thy strength indeed is small. So he affirms something that is a limitation on us and calls us a child of weakness and commands us then to do three things, to watch, to pray, and to find in me, the Savior, your all in all. So it acknowledges our human finitude, not just our our sin. I think child of weakness implies in there, but it doesn't name it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's more referring to our inability to do what the chorus is referring to, to pay the penalty for our sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it uses this line, watch and pray, which is a strange set of words. Uh, I don't know if you've recognized where that comes from. Tyler. I don't, I don't. So this comes out of uh, the moment when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Christ is obviously going through this tumultuous moment where he's committed to the cross and the will of the Father, but he he goes to pray and to sort of um, be strengthened, right, in his in his determination to carry out the will of the Father. And he goes and he takes with him Peter and James and John, and he tells them to be watchful with him while he prays. So he goes and he prays, and then he goes back and finds them asleep. And it's in that moment that he says, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I wonder if that is that phrase, watch and pray, is clearly referencing the words of Christ. That mm. Basically, that was a moment when Christ was in some, uh, just some difficulty. And yet, even in that moment of difficulty, he's more faithful than these great men of the faith, right? Mm-hmm. Peter and James and John. And they couldn't, they couldn't watch and pray. Mm-hmm. This is referencing a moment when Christ was sort of struggling 
And yet he was faithful and consistent. And yet the people around him could not be. Mm. So I just wonder if what this is doing here is referencing a scriptural place where these great men of the faith were children of weakness, Mm -hmm. were small of strength. And so it is a moment when like, I don't know, just, it just is a, it's just a reminder that of our, of our frailty and our inability. Like if we were there in Gethsemane, Mm -hmm. we would have done the same thing. Like we wouldn't have been able to actually follow through um, even with the prayer and watching part, let alone going to the cross, which of course is what Christ he not only endured that difficulty in the garden, but he then fulfilled his greater purpose and went to the cross. What's interesting is that a careless or a quick reading or a not thoughtful reading of the Garden of Gethsemane might have you think that Christ was sternly and bitterly rebuking his disciples. And certainly, I think it was a kind of rebuke, not to shame them, but to call them to behave better. Mm -hmm. And what we see in the opening lines of this song is, I think, more in line with the sentiment that is intended with Christ's rebuke of them, an acknowledgement of their weakness Mm -hmm. and, and an exhortation to find the strength to keep watch and to pray, Mm -hmm. not in themselves because they'd shown that they were incapable of it, but in him. Yeah. And that's the reference there. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Yeah. We need God's help. We can't accomplish the things that Christ commands us on our own. We can't do it. Do you think that the sentiment that people should have when they come to this song is an acknowledgement of their frailty? I believe this song is referencing that weakness that we have at the beginning. It's a way of helping people to realize that when we approach God, we do so in humility and in a place of dependence. I wonder also if maybe this the uh, the author, Alvina, so she's a 45-year-old woman when she's writing this, might be in the afternoon, might be hot. Maybe she was actually feeling a little sleepy. And here she is, like the pastor's preaching or the pastor is praying, and she finds herself falling asleep and maybe thought of herself as being in the shoes of Peter and John and James and thought like, no, I need to be watchful. If I'm going to, I need to, I need to actually focus on the words of Christ right now. Maybe, maybe something like that happened. Obviously we can't ask her about it. She died in the 1890s, I think, but it's interesting that if we know, when we know the context of how this song was written, that the first lines are like, no, but stay awake. And it references this moment in scripture when the disciples were having trouble staying awake. This is interesting to me because it's a, that sentiment and that, that fact that humans are frail, weak, incapable, not merely because of our sin, but just because of our finitude, seems to me to be different than the sentiment expressed by the chorus. Okay. And here's why I think that's, here's what I think may be the cause of that. Okay. This song was not solely written by Elvina M. Hall, but also another hymn that was written at this time by John Grape called All to Christ I Owe. And they both brought their hymns independently to the pastor who, who thought that they would fit well together. Mm-hmm. And then they cooperated in, uh, in bringing this piece of liturgy into one entity. And If you're curious, I'll read the lyrics to All to Christ I Owe. Redeeming work is done, the debt of sin is paid, the precious Lamb of God, 
my sacrifice is made. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Verse 2, I'll bow at Jesus' feet and plead his grace so free. I'll wash me in his blood. The blood was shed for me. And then the chorus, Jesus paid it all. And then the third and final verse, yes, Jesus paid it all. To him the glory be. His love my pardon speaks and grace has set me free. So that verse is probably written by her, but the chorus is written by him. Yes, I agree with you. I think the first verse of this song, I hear the Savior say thy strength indeed is small, was written by Elvina, and the refrain was obviously written by John Grape, which is why they don't seem to express the same kind of ideas, although they're not incompatible, obviously. You're saying that, like, the first verse doesn't have this clear expression of sin and debt that, right. the, that the refrain has. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I didn't pick that up, but now that you pointed out, yes. And if anyone wants to read more about this, Edwin Long wrote, and I kid you not, this is the title of the book, 1876, Illustrated History of Hymns and Their Authors, Facts and Incidents of the Origin, Authors, Sentiments, and Singing of Hymns, which, with a synopsis, Embrace interesting items relating to over 800 hymn writers. Gosh, what have we done to book titles? (laughs) We've reduced them to just a few words. Yeah. Shame on us, right? How could we abandon that awful practice? Terrible. Then we get to the chorus, or the refrain, as some would call it. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Now, you've already pointed out that this is more explicit about what our problem is. We have sin here. So maybe even a vague reference to a kind of penal substitution in a way, because there's this idea of payment and kind of obligation. And then, of course, if we combine this with the added uh, tag or refrain or bridge, we get the idea of debt as well. So there does seem to be a kind of legal demand going on here and the legal satisfaction happening. Yeah, two parallel but distinct metaphors here. One, the washing white, and the other, the payment of a debt. But Mm -hmm. interestingly, um, it's not a payment that results in a zero balance, right? Right. He paid it, it all, and then now we we owe a right. debt, not the debt of our sins, yeah. but a kind of um, a debt of obligation, yeah. given his redeeming work on our behalf. Um, and and I thought this. I'm sure that everyone knows this, but it's worthwhile pointing out this washing crimson stains white stems from the book of Isaiah mm-hmm. one eighteen, where it says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Mm-hmm. And so this song actually goes a step further because this prophecy in Isaiah is speaking in the future tense. They shall be. They will be. Mm-hmm. But in in... Jesus paid it all. It's in the past tense. Yeah. He washed me white as snow. Yeah. So it's declaring that the the payment that Christ offered 
for us has already accomplished the cleansing necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a reference which appears in Isaiah. It also appears actually in Psalm 51, verse 7. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than the snow. So we have it there too. So this is a, a clear scriptural idea, scriptural metaphor. It's interesting that we also have hyssop in Psalm 51. Hyssop was a herb for dealing with various like minor ailments in the in the Near East, ancient Near East. It was also, though, a ceremonial cure or a ceremonial treatment, I guess, to cleanse lepers, which that has an interesting connection when we get through other parts in the psalm. Yes. So I wonder if if this uh, the, the authors or one or both of them were thinking about not only the Isaiah passage, but also perhaps this passage in Psalm 51 as well. It is a monumental psalm. It's, it's perhaps the clearest image that we get in the psalms of someone repenting of mm-hmm. a specific sin, lamenting over its effects without falling into a kind of navel-gazing shame, mm-hmm. but turning to the Lord for mm-hmm. forgiveness, cleansing, and um, redemption. Mm-hmm. That's perhaps related. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. So there we go. There's that connection with leprosy there. Yes. So we have the crimson stain being made whiter than snow, and now we have the leper being cleansed, which obviously is something that Christ does. Christ heals the lepers, but we also have in the in Psalm 51 this reference to Hyssop as a ceremonial cleanser of leprosy. Mm-hmm. And we have also from Ezekiel the image of removing a heart of stone mm-hmm. and giving us a new heart of flesh, echoed throughout, I think, the New Testament, where we are a new, we are a new creation yeah. in Christ. Yeah. And the power to accomplish this cannot be found in ourselves. I think this gets back to the, your earlier comments about human weakness, human frailty, human inability to accomplish um, not only inability to accomplish our own salvation, but even accomplish a recompense for what yeah. we had done wrong. Yeah. Um, the power to do this, now indeed I find, says the author of this song, um, in, in Christ alone, thy power and thine alone can yeah. accomplish this. Yep. It's a really nice statement about, again, it's a reference. Leprosy is a fascinating choice here because it was an incurable disease. And even though it was ceremonially cleansed, it could only, it, we never see it healed until we see actually Christ healing the leper spots. It, it reminds us of um, the, uh, the parable, the parable, not parable, the account of the paralytic who is lowered into the, this kind of room where Jesus is. And By his Jesus, four friends on yeah, the mat. And Jesus heals him. And he, the Pharisees are furious about it. And Jesus says, well, what's easier to, oh, and then he forgives the man's sins. And then the Pharisees are like, well, how dare you do this? And Jesus says, well, is it easier to say, 
I forgive your sins or easier to say, get up and walk. But so you know that I can forgive sins. I'm going to say, get up and walk. So boom. Yeah, exactly. Mic drop. Right. And we have in this verse, the fact that Jesus can change the leper spots actually can heal somebody who has an incurable decaying, visibly decaying disease. And also these references to Ezekiel, where we see God saying, I will take out your heart of stone. I'll remove it and I'll give you a heart of flesh. So the, kind of the work of God. So we see a pretty consistent theme here mm-hmm. in the song of God acting, Christ acting, and the worshiper in a sort of passive role. Even the very first line, I hear the Savior say, like they, they don't like, they're not like listening. It's that, it's that they're sort of receiving the words of Christ even mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And this may be so subtle that we don't even notice it, but it is praiseworthy. These statements that are made here that are describing the Lord actually happen in scripture. Yeah. So in many worship songs, things are said of Christ that we can infer to be true from his nature and his attributes and scriptures. Um, But in this song, something different is happening. They're not just things that we can logically infer to be true. Like that he's a miracle worker. Right. Yeah. But they are things that he has actually done. And so we can actually point people to scriptures and say, look, he did this. He did this for you. It's one of the strengths of specificity. Yeah. Okay. It seems clunky to talk about a leper being healed, but it's actually historically valid. It strengthens our faith to talk about the specific objective historical things that God has done. That, that is, I mean, that is what the Bible is. Mm -hmm. It's an account of not of kind of vague platitudes, but of historical actions and stories about God's work mm-hmm. so that we can remind ourselves that this is real. Mm-hmm. It reminds me a little bit of Waymaker as a yeah. contrast where we could say, exactly. God is a Waymaker. Well, a Waymaker carves a path out of somewhere where there wasn't a path before. Is that true of our God? Yes, that's true. So is that a reasonable thing to call him? It's not an unreasonable thing to call him, but in this song, in Jesus Pays It All, we see things that actually happened yeah. And we can point to them and praise him for that. Yep. And it's actually a lot easier to do. Yeah. There are fewer mental steps you have to take. And it drives people to the, the scriptures scripture. to praise the Lord. So mm-hmm. That's right. It's great. Yeah, it doesn't call people to focus on the song. It calls people to focus back on the words of Christ, which is great because the first line is, I hear the Savior say. Mm-hmm. I hear God's words. I hear Christ's words. And as you mentioned before, I am not hearing the Savior say something that isn't in the scriptures, right? I am hearing the word of God as it's presented in the scriptures. So this isn't talking about a mystical ability to interpret divine messages or something like that. Yeah, or even something that's vague but still true. No, this is something that's very concrete. That's right. Then we get to the kind of last of the verses. And when before the throne, I stand in him complete. Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat. So this is a familiar scene that we have encountered in other songs and other hymns of a kind of almost throne room type scene. Yeah. 
And do you remember how the earlier verses emphasized our imperfection, yeah. our frailty, our right. weakness? This third verse has taken a turn. And now I stand in him complete. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if this is a play on the other meaning of perfected, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. when we talk about the perfect tense of verbs, we're talking about the accomplished past yeah. tense of verbs. And here, when I stand perfected in him, not in my own works, not in my own deeds, but sanctified by the Holy Spirit and glorified mm-hmm. in the new heavens and new earth, I stand before the throne of God. It's a nice contrast to to some of the ideas of freedom and free that we see in songs, where there's there's not necessarily clarity about what our finished state does, and it then it leaves open the idea of maybe some kind of autonomy. Whereas this shows that even in our completion, even in our perfection, we are recognizing the process that God underwent to get us there. Like we're recognizing that we've been bought, that we've not, we've not become perfect, perfectly autonomous. No, he we, has affected our perfection yeah, here. Exactly. We've become perfectly dependent and, and our part of our perfection now is constantly remembering and reflecting and praising because of what was done to get us to that place. Right. And I think here what's going on is not this person feels... Remember how we said, um, all to him I owe in the refrain? Mm. I don't think that this person in the third verse is begrudgingly saying, well, I owe him my all. He gave me everything. He Mm -hmm. died for me. He perfected me. He glorified Mm -hmm. me. Here I am. I guess I'd better say, Jesus died, my soul to save. No, this is not out of obligation. This is heartfelt praise, the overflowing of someone who has been ransomed from death and despair and hell and Mm -hmm. brought into glorious immortal life. It's much like the song, all I have is Christ, which I hope that we do at some point. That phrase is not being said in a, in a tone of man, all I have is Christ. That's Mm kind of all I get. No, it's saying like all that I have Mm -hmm. is Christ, right? It, it, It is everything. It is of, of, it is of sole importance, nothing else compares what i have in christ is incomparable to anything else such that all i have is christ this this is doing something similar when it says all to him i owe it's it's, it's not begrudging it's 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 a it's a kind of rejoicing in that actually it's mm-hmm. it's, it's 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 finding our completeness in utter dependence and union with christ and the will of christ and um yeah yeah, communion with Christ. Mm-hmm. So it's referencing this this kind of throne of grace, throne of grace, and when before the throne, I stand in Him complete. Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat. So there's this idea, there's this scene, a kind of heavenly scene, and in Revelation chapter five, we see something kind of like this, where we see the four living creatures and twenty four elders, and they sing. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. By your blood you ransomed people for God. And it, it, it kind of describes who's been ransomed. So it's a, um, it's true that we see in heaven a, a, a group of people uh, praising God for his, his ransoming work. Or at least the four creatures and the 24 elders, whoever they are. And the great multitude, right? Although we don't. 
Aren't they all singing as well? There's a second song that the, the great multitude joins in and they sing a second song, but it's not quite the same. Mm-hmm. I don't remember how it goes, but it doesn't quite include this stuff, like everything that you see here. So this third verse that we have in Jesus Paid It All and When Before the Throne, I like this verse and I like what it states about our praise of Christ in heaven for eternity. But I think there's a small chain link missing. And I base that off of the fact that there was another third verse. This was the fourth verse. And I love the third verse that has been omitted. For nothing good have I, whereby thy grace to claim, I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamb. This verse was missing and I think would have given a greater bridge between our frailty, our inability to present anything good about ourselves to merit salvation, to cleanse ourselves, and the state that we are in in the final verse of the hymn Mm -hmm. where we are standing before the throne in perfection. Mm -hmm. Um, Because in that missing third verse, we are washing our garments white, not our physical clothes there, right? But um, as a symbol for our covering, the covering yeah, for our kind sin. of robes of righteousness or whatever, right? Yes, yeah. in the blood of Calvary's lambs, and and so that that's awesome because that's naming a specific place, Calvary, where Christ mm-hmm. was crucified, and it's identifying him as the Lamb of mm-hmm. Calvary, the Lamb of God itself, and hearkening back to the sacrificial system. Yeah, it's a kind of ironic phrase too, because we're washing the garments white, but blood, of course, is red. Yes. So it's a fascinating turn on what we saw in Isaiah and the Psalms, where in those passages we see the sta- the sin being red and then the washing being white, whereas in that verse we see the garments are being washed white, but in the blood of Calvary's Lamb. So this is a blood that doesn't stain with the crimson of sin. Iron. Yeah, oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's the crimson of sin. But the it gives the kind of white of righteousness, and obviously that's a again that's a connection that Scripture makes makes between the color white and righteousness. Then we get this added refrain. So we talked about one thing that was missing. One thing that gets added is this extra bridge or tag. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Now, we've seen these additions uh, have mixed benefits Mm -hmm. towards some of these hymns. Sometimes they are not doing much. Um, You know, there are so few words that (laughs) never grow old. Right. But in a few cases, they have made improvements. What do you think about this one, Tyler? Is this an improvement or is this a problem? This bridge adds, can I call it a bridge? Yeah, let's call it a bridge. Why not? I think it is a bridge. Call it a bridge. Okay. This bridge adds a new element that was absent from the earlier song, and that is the raising from death onto life. Hmm? So it's not merely about a payment of a debt. It's not merely about a cleansing of stains. But now we see in this bridge a reference of death being brought to life in Christ. So 
again, as earlier we saw the two ideas of cleansing and debt payment be paralleled in the bridge, it's debt payment and resurrection being paralleled. And so I would mm-hmm. say this this added bridge is a net benefit. I don't think it's, you know, a grand slam of a bridge, but what it adds does not distract from what came before. It's thematically related to what came before. Mm-hmm. And uh, it gives further scriptural material with which to praise God, right? Because the scriptures also talk about our resurrection from the dead that this song did not discuss before. Yeah, I agree with you. I think this is a net benefit. I like that it clarifies, it works well with the chorus. The chorus talks about Jesus paying it all and us owing to him. And so this brings in the term debt, which is, again, a nice reinforcement of penal substitutionary atonement, which Mm -hmm. you and I both are all for this idea of a legal obligation that has been paid. That's what Jesus paid is our debt. And we obviously see the chorus talking, you know, describing that as sin as well. So it's, it's a, I think it's a, overall a, a good improvement. And furthermore, it does something that the other verses and the other chorus do not do. That is, it exhorts the yeah. singers yeah. to praise. So whereas the verses tend to be somewhat reflective or prayerful, where we're mm-hmm. addressing the Lord directly. In this bridge, we there's a shift, and we turn to praise and commanding people to praise. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that can be overdone and yeah. tired, like, sing out, let our anthem grow loud. Right. And other times, <laughs> I think it can be helpful, because if the rest of the song is a little bit more contemplative, it can be helpful. And I think here it is helpful to turn to direct praise to God mm-hmm. based on what people have been reflecting on in the past verses. Yeah. And it's not just empty calls for praise. It's, it's pointing to objective truth. Praise the one who paid my debt. This is some, and again, that, that calls to language we've already seen. Jesus paid it all and raised this life up from the dead. Now that, as you say, is a kind of new concept, but this is still something that we see in scripture. It's pretty clear as to what it's doing. Uh, I was wondering if you had any thoughts and maybe you don't, I just found it a little curious that the this bridge says and raised this life rather than our lives or my life. I did wonder. It is about kind that. of a strange. It, it, it's funny because I don't know if it's just phonetically or something. It does have this nice sound to it. Like it's it. I I really liked singing this song. I liked playing. You know, I liked leading this song, and I just liked the way that raised this life up. I don't know. I just, hmm. it sounds better than my yep. or our, but it, it was obviously a conscious decision that was made to say this life. Yeah. There's something a little bit contradictory about it mm-hmm. um, because you can't, if let's talk literally here, you can't literally raise a life from the dead because if it's among the dead, it's not a life anymore. You can yeah. raise someone's soul from the grave. Yeah. You can uh, resurrect them from the dead, but. Mm-hmm. It is a little bit perplexing. I just I wondered if it was a, just a phonetic decision. It because this bridge was probably we don't know the writing process. Some songwriters write music and melodies before they write words. I'm that mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Others write the words first and then they fit things to it. There was this song that I wrote uh, where I kept using the phrase "cinnamon life makes me happy." 
And I just liked the, <laughs> I liked the phonetics of that. Now I changed those words to something far more meaningful, but using those words just kind of helped me get a sense of the cadence and the emphasis and the kind of syllables that I wanted and all of that. And I wonder if in this song, um, raise this life, it just, there's kind of a, it's kind of a bounce to that, which I yeah. think a big vat, like our or my, yeah. you know, might've just sure. kind of wrecked a little bit. There's just a nice race this life. It's trochaic. First of all, da, da, da. Yeah. And second of all, you don't, like you said, you don't have a diphthong. Mm-hmm. You don't have two vowels adjoined within the same syllable, like my hour. Um, especially because a lot of versions of this that I've heard are the diphthong in life. The uh, diff, like I said, diphthongs are two vowels that are in the same syllable. It's almost sung the way you would in the you would say it in the South, where you hmm. you emphasize the first one to the exclusion of the second one. So life up from the dead. Ah. Um, I'm not saying that the, everyone sings it with a Southern accent, but when you listen to it, people hang on to that first vowel for a very long time. In this version, mm. to raise this life up from the mm. dead. Listeners, in the YouTube video, Jesus Paid It All, Kim Walker-Smith, Worship Circle Hymns, you can listen to this version where the singer says, after several repetitions of the bridge, um, you saved my life, you brought me back to either light or life, I couldn't tell, Mm -hmm. you rewrote my story, you changed my destiny, God, you changed my life, and then something that I could not tell sincerely, whether it was how crazy or I praise you. It was one of those two. I think it was the latter, but it, I had to go back and listen to it again. I think it was, I praise you. Okay. I have either a lot to say about this or very little to say about this. What what would you say, Colin? Um, yeah, I don't have it much to add. It's I am more cautious to critique extemporaneous comments, which is clearly what what this was. It was clear that this woman actually didn't have this song memorized, so she may have. What that tells you is that she didn't. She didn't prepare this ahead of time. This may have actually been a song that they just kind of decided to do while they were there and it recorded and it happened to be a big hit on YouTube. So I am cautious of trying to critique too much and just kind of the extemporaneous, sure, you know, co- you know, things that a person says. Like some, some worship leaders really like to do that. If you listen to Bob Coughlin's uh, Worship Together soundtrack, which is a really neat soundtrack of hymns and songs with just a piano and a large group of men. But even Bob like can't help himself. And he just kind of interjects these little, he shouts these little things, which is nice. It's kind of comes across mm-hmm. nice, but I'm sure like the, the Presbyterians in the audience were like, what is he doing? That's not in the hymn book. Like, Colin, I have to tell you, I don't like that at all. I find <laughs> it a little, I find it distracting. The The whole crowd is singing and it's, it sounds like it's mostly men. Yeah, it is. Da, 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 da. And then he's like, no power of hell. Then they're all like, no power of hell. Then he's like, no scheme of man, no scheme of man. <laughs> I find it, first of all, distracting. I'm sure, I, I'm certain that it is meant in good faith 
But it comes across to me as just a little bit, well, I, I'm certain it's done in good faith. I wouldn't do it. Um, and I find it a little bit like intruding on people's thoughts because if you're shouting into a microphone, no one has any choice other than to listen to what you decided to shout sure. into it. So. You have to remember that Bob Coughlin comes from a background where this is normal and actually kind of something that does encourage would encourage people to worship in that setting. They almost they like the idea of people expressing genuine enthusiasm, and I think I think Bob Coughlin is expressing some genuine enthusiasm. But yes, for some people who kind of want to follow the hymn book as written, it's going to be distracting. But that's what she's doing. She's she. They're kind of in a moment of instrumentation, which you know, uh, I think it's better than just having this one minute section of the song where they just jam out. Like mm-hmm. it's nice that she's at least saying some things that are. And so it may edifying. even be interpreted as a prayer. Yeah, a prayer in a... the middle of the of the song, basically. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Okay, so. Let's talk about the clarity and the coherence and just kind of give some summarizing thoughts. I just want to say that I think this is a very clear and coherent song. And uh, I liked this song before we reviewed it. And I'm still feel very good about this song as a, as a kind of endorsable song. I, it was interesting to read some of the bits and pieces that did not make the final cut. I don't know if we want to talk about a few of those. Can you please? Yeah. I mean, um, so for example, we've got one that you, the one that you already read. Um, there's a whole verse that's, well, you can see how when this, when, whenever this modern version was put together, it kind of cut and paste pieces. So like there's a verse which says when from my dying bed, my ransomed soul shall rise. Jesus died. My soul to save shall rend the vaulted skies. Uh, And then there's also, and when before the throne I stand in him complete, I'll lay my trophies down, all down at Jesus' feet. I think these are nice sentiments. But one of the things that I felt like after I read these other verses that have been since removed or only partially excised from the song, I don't think that what was cut was absolutely necessary. And... I think the song as it is now and the this new version of the song is is pretty concise. Yeah. Like I, I actually I there have been other hymns that we've looked at where really crucial things were cut out of the hymn. Mm-hmm. And in this case, I think they did a pretty good job, whoever put this together and arranged it, of kind of cutting what may have even been slightly unclear. So like Jesus died, my soul to save, shall rend the vaulted skies. I yes. mean, I'm not sure exactly what that means. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm imagining it um, sounds Aurora kind of, Borealis yeah. and, and your soul like escaping into... It sounds like powerful-ish, but without yeah. a, exactly a clear sense of why. And it stands in contrast to what we were saying earlier about things that actually happened in Scripture that we can point to. And, and that is probably a, a decent embellishment of ideas in scripture, yeah. but it's not something that we can point to. Yeah. Or like some things that are a bit more generic. So like there's one and now complete in him, my robe, his righteousness, close sheltered neath his side. I am divinely blessed, which there's some good stuff in there about being sheltered at underneath Christ's side and covered in his robe of righteousness. That's a nice image. 
Um, I am divinely blessed, and maybe this is a, my own bias. Is it? Like, that just sounds a bit generic to me. I'm divinely blessed. It, it It's true. But I think the way that this, the parts of this verse were then recombined into further, uh, into, in, into, and when before the throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still mm-hmm. repeat. I just like the emphasis on this is how Christ accomplished this. He mm-hmm. died and he saved my soul, which I just think comes across in a really nice way. So uh, I, I just don't think any violence was done to this hymn by the cuts that were made. I would agree with you with verses that you've named here. I do still think that oh, yeah. the verse that I mentioned earlier that was omitted yeah. would have been a net benefit to this song. To yeah, because it would have made a, a connection yes. that is, is just, yeah, I agree with you. I think that's fair. I think overall especially given the fact that these are two different hymns that have been put together in a complementary fashion. I think that this is a coherent song Mm -hmm. and it's a clear song. It doesn't leave you scratching your head about much except for maybe the added bridge about this life. But even then you'll probably just, it's yeah, it doesn't, that doesn't present a problem in terms of meanings or ambiguity or something like that. Because when we have demonstrative pronouns like this, before words like life, where we don't typically use yeah. demonstrative pronouns, we can infer that it's self-referential. It's yeah. referring to my life yeah. and not, you know, you're walking along and there's a life on the road and what are you going to do? <laughs> right. you know? Yeah, exactly. So it sounds like, I mean, are you saying that you would endorse this song? I would endorse this song. Yeah, yeah. I would too. Like you, I liked it going into this and I was encouraged by researching it a bit more to like it even more. Okay. And what did you rate the song, Tyler? I give it four out of five iPhones. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and why did you give it four out of five iPhones, Tyler? I would have liked to give it five out of five, but I was a little bit sore about the omissions, okay. and I did not like the uh, extemporaneous additions in this version. Okay. And I don't like it when people keep repeating the same bridge over and over and over again, personally. Yeah. So I think that the four verses that I said were good, Mm -hmm. not just the three that are in this, but the four and the original refrain are sufficient enough to get a five. Uh But I think this version of it, I would give it four. Okay. And I give it iPhones because you open the song on YouTube and you can see this band and in a ring around them is a bunch of people. um, And she's obviously looking at her phone for the first half of the song, and I inferred from that, like you, that that meant that she probably didn't know the lyrics. This may have been a new song to her that weekend, so. Yeah, I'm wondering if what that shows is that this wasn't a, like, put-together performance, as it were. Which, in which case, you know, If this was not put together, the production is impressive. Yeah, it's really good. They sound great. And I think it comes across as fairly genuine. I mean, they're they're kind of around in a circle and granted there's some lights and things and there's clearly a kind of staging to it. But they just seem to be some musicians kind of jamming together whereas like when we watch stuff by Hillsong or Bethel, especially Bethel, it's just clear that there's like a kind of production to it. I have been in obviously a lot of worship bands in a few different churches and most of those churches were smaller churches and the worship bands in those churches always had a really nice familiarity. And we were just kind of playing music together too. Like obviously we're leading worship, but we were 
there was a kind of organicness. Whereas when I was a part of a worship team in a larger church, it was very, it felt like a studio musician. Like I'd kind of come in with my stuff and then everyone would come in with their stuff. And it was very um, sterile. And it was like, we just kind of did our job. And we just made sure to play our part real tight. And, and all the musicians were really professional, not professional, but were very good. And there wasn't like a kind of training people up as much as it was like, you needed to be good to be on the worship There's a team hurdle that church. you have to jump over yeah. to get in. And you kind of needed to be able to just kind of come in, play your part, kind of know your part ahead of time. And there wasn't a lot of organicness to it. And that wasn't necessarily, I don't think that was the intention of the people that were kind of designing it that way. I just think it happened out of necessity because it was a larger church and it just kind of had to be that way. Mm -hmm. um, I gave this song five out of five hymns memorized, <laughs> referencing the exact same thing that Thank it you. just struck me as that this woman was, um, was just constantly looking down at her iPhone. You know, the other thing I'll say about the kind of authenticity of this, I really appreciated that most of the musicians on the worship team, including the singer, were clearly older than 35. Hmm. I actually found that refreshing. Hmm. These were these were Christians who had probably been around a little while. Now, the folks in the broader circle, the kind of people that were singing, were, were like stereotypical millennials. I mean, my goodness, they looked like millennials, hmm. like guys with beards and the little like um, ring hoop in the ear. And, oh, yeah. Um, I got mine right here. Yeah, right. Um, you know, uh, and you know, they, they, they all look like flannel and all this kind of stuff. I um, wear flannel for anyone interested. <laughs> I do. I'm, I am that bad. Um, Colin, I don't know. You said there's, there's a difference between this kind of worship and what we see when we watch Hillsong and Bethel. Um, I thought so. Did you know that she's a worship pastor for Bethel? No, you're kidding. Yeah. It didn't come across in that context. She did not strike – none of what she did, in my view, struck me as so, – you know, the, the, with the kind of precision that and production that Bethel put on. Hmm. It seemed to me a very organic thing, and maybe I was affected by the setting or the ambiance, but um, I, that's surprising to learn. Thanks, everyone, for catching this week's episode of The Worship Review. We hope you enjoy these episodes. Please do have a listen to our back catalog. Follow us on Twitter – let your friends know it's been neat to see a gradual climb in our listenership and we're uh, hoping to continue to reach more folks to be helpful to engage in the conversation that's happening in our churches about worship music and we'll catch you next time take care you've been listening to the worship review please subscribe to the podcast leave a comment or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com we accept donations at Anchor FM slash The Worship Review and Patreon.com slash The Worship Review. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.